Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 17, as we look to God's word today, I wanna preach to you this morning on the subject, trusting God for the victory. Trusting God for the victory. And as we dive into this passage of scripture that nearly every single one of us to at least to some extent have heard reference before, I wanna ask you a very simple question. And that is this. Today, are you in a place where you need victory in your life? Are you in a place in your life where you feel defeat and discouragement? And if you're honest, maybe even a bit of despair. Or are you in a place in your life where there are struggles and temptations and there are sins, frankly, that you mean well and you want to overcome and you try to do good, but it seems like at the end of every day, you're back at the same dead end, you've done it again, and you can't get victory over that. Do you need victory? Are you in a context of a relationship in your marriage, frankly, that's dealing with such discouragement and such heartache and such hurt that you feel beat up and you don't know how you can move forward? Are you in a place where you need victory? Are you in a place in a relationship, maybe with even someone in the body of Christ where there's such hurt and there's been such heartache that honestly, if you're just being truthful about it, that it's come now to a place of bitterness and frankly, you just need deliverance, you need victory. I don't know this morning your story and I don't know the struggle you might face. I don't know the circumstance or difficulty. I don't know the areas in your life that you may feel defeat this morning, but I do know where you can find victory. See, the fact of the matter is the world will tell us that, that if we believe in ourselves, we can be victorious. If you're smart enough, you can, you can achieve it. If you're talented enough, you can conquer it. If you're wealthy enough, you can buy it. If you, if you think it, you can do it. You can be the source of your victory and you can be the source of, of great opportunity. But the fact of the matter is in 1 Samuel 17, really and all throughout the Bible, God begins to point us to the victory that really lasts, not the temporary victory, but the true eternal victory that happens in our life. 1 Samuel 17 is a pastor scripture that tells us one of the most infamous stories of all the Bible. But I'm convinced this morning, even though this story is so well known, I believe there are things in it that God is wanting to teach us. We come today in 1 Samuel chapter 17 to the story of David and Goliath. I love this pastor's scripture. We're studying this because we have been looking at Crosslink over the last several weeks. Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith. We've been studying the life of ordinary men and women who God did extraordinary things in and through. They were simple, ordinary people, and yet God worked incredibly through them. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 says it this way. What more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, of Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, the prophets, who by faith, they conquered kingdoms, they performed acts of righteousness, they obtained promises, they shut the mouths of lions, they quenched the power of fire, they escaped the edge of the sword. Listen to this statement. From weakness, they were made strong. They became mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight. Now, I have to say to you this morning that when you study the life of David, there are a lot of illustrations throughout David's life where he demonstrated incredible faith in God. But I don't know that there is a more dramatic moment than the first moment that we read of in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Truth be told this morning, when you hear the name David, many people think of David, the mighty king who went about ruling over Israel. Many people think about David and how God gave him incredible victory over numerous military, thousands and thousands of people who surrendered to his hand. Sometimes we think of David and we think about David and the instructions that he gave to the building of the temple and the financial provisions that would take place under Solomon's reign. There's a lot of ways he demonstrated faith. But there is none greater in my mind than the illustration of David and Goliath. Now, whether you've been in church before or not, whether you've been in Sunday school before or not, whether you've heard a message preached on it or not, most all of us have heard in some uh, sector of life the phrase David and Goliath. In fact, I imagine if you watch sports to any extent, 
eventually you're going to hear the phrase David and Goliath as a description of an underdog who's battling the great mighty team or, you know, program or something like that. Even in the context of the political arena, even in the context of talking about government conflicts, we often hear this phrase, David and Goliath. It pictures for us an underdog who's going against an impossible, much larger foe. Now, I'm convinced this morning, even though the story hasn't changed, I believe there are things about that story that God wants us to hear and accept and apply to our life today. As I was thinking about the message this morning on David and Goliath, my mind was going back several years ago to something that happened in our home when, when my oldest son was very, was very little. Our oldest son is Mac. He's 15 years old. He recently got his learner's permit. Y'all pray for us, okay? And I'll pray for you too because he's driving Rockingham County. But anyway, uh, <laughs> when Mac was younger, I remember whenever he would come home uh, from Sunday school or he would come home from church or from Awana ministry at that time, we'd come home and and I would ask him, son, well, what did you learn about today? And Mac would start telling me what he learned about that day. And, but then as the week went along, I started doing something with Mac that tried to help reinforce the Bible lesson. And that is, we would reenact whatever the story was. We would kind of role play it out, if you will. And, and after a while, I didn't have to do that anymore. He would come back and he'd all right, now, Daddy, here's who I want you to be and here's who I'm going to be. But I remember without a doubt that the person he liked to imitate the most was the story of David and Goliath. And I remember he was just a little guy. I mean, like two, three, uh, probably three years old. And I remember he had this plastic shield. You know, he thought it was a real deal. And he would come into the living room and he would see me. And I was a much larger figure than him, of course. And he would have his like squishable, like play toys, his, his squishable balls. And he would walk in and he would say, you may be big and you may be strong, but I come to you in the name of God. You know, like. <laughs> something spiritual about the way he said God. And he would take those balls and he would throw them at me. And, and as soon as he would make contact, I would fall on the floor and he would jump on my back and he would pounce on me, you know, like Goliath, the evil enemy is dead. You know, like that's, that's how we celebrate in our house. Okay, that's how we played, you know? Like, I don't know what I'm teaching my kid, but I remember one day thinking, you know what? I'm tired of being defeated. I'm gonna change this up a little bit. And so I remember one day, he, he, he walked into the room. I still remember those little legs. He came in, he had that shield, and he said, oh, you may be big and strong, but I come to you in the name of God. And he took those balls, and he started throwing them at me. But here's what I did. I started catching them. And then, God is my witness, I started throwing them back. You little punk. David, you think you can stand against me? Get out of here, you know? And, and I remember probably about the third or fourth time I threw one, those eyes got big and he went running around the corner. And so I thought he was going to hide. And so I remember walking through the kitchen, fee, fi, fo, fum, you know? See a little white boy gonna eat him some. You know, I'm, I'm looking for him and I turned the corner and there is Mac in the stairwell crying. And I'm thinking, oh, <laughs> world's finest moment as a father. And, and I'm like, Mac, Mac, I am so sorry. Did I hurt your feelings? And he shook his head, no. I said, why are you crying? As God is my witness, Mac looked at me and said, God's not happy. <laughs> what do you mean God's not happy? And he looked at me with that little lip trembling and, and tears coming down his face. And he said, you changed the Bible. <laughs> Honest truth. Honest truth. <laughs> Here's the reality. The story of David and Goliath hasn't changed. But our acceptance of it and our walking by faith in it often has. Because we've taken our eyes off of the one that gave David the victory and instead we looked at Goliath and we looked at the giant in our eyes and we looked at the focus in our mind and we looked at the struggle in our mind and we thought to ourselves, God's not big enough. David experienced incredible victory, but it wasn't because of him. It wasn't because of what he brought to the table. It wasn't because of his skills or abilities. It was because of the greatness of his God. First Samuel chapter 17, I want to ask you to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. Please today, leave your Bibles open. I'm going to read the first 23 verses right now, and we'll read the majority of the text throughout the rest of the message. The Bible says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, 
They were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and they camped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Demin. Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley laying between them. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named, what's his name? Goliath. Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. In other words, nine foot, nine inches. He's a mountain of a man. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had bronze greaves on his legs, a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. The head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier also walked before him. He stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we'll become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you should become our servants and serve us. Again, the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly what? Afraid or terrified. Verse 12. Now David, the text introduces us to the character, was the son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem and Judah, whose name was Jesse. He had eight sons. Jesse was old in the days of Saul, advanced in years among men. The three older sons of Jesse had gone after Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, the second uh, to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shema. David was the youngest. Now the three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend to his father's flock at Bethlehem. The Philistine, Goliath, came forward morning and evening for 40 days and took his stand. Jesse said to David, his son, take now for your brothers an ephah of this roasted grain and these 10 loaves and run to the camp to your brothers. Bring also these 10 cuts of cheese to the commander of their thousand and look into the welfare of your brothers. Bring back news of them. For Saul and they and all the men of Israel are in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David arose early in the morning, verse 20, and left the flock with a keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. He came to the circle of the camp while the enemy was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. Israel, the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper. He ran to the battle line and entered in in order to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words. Notice the statement, and David heard them. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time together. Lord, I pray in these brief moments that you would speak to our heart the truth of your word. God, help us today to understand the source of our battle. Help us to understand who our enemy really is. But also, Father, help us to understand the source of our victory. And we pray it would all be for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Trusting God for the victory. Here in this pastor scripture, the Bible reminds us of a time in Israel when they were ruled and led by King Saul. King Saul was a mighty man. In fact, we understand today that he was a very tall man and a very strong man. The average Israelite at that time of the men would average in height about five and a half feet, and Saul was literally head and shoulders taller than the majority of the Israelites. Not only was he a tall and powerful man, but he was a king and he was a ruler. Throughout much of his time as a king and as a ruler, Saul had experienced great victories on the battlefield. He became very well trusted, very well respected. The Israelites looked to him in many ways as being a source of their hope. But there's a problem. The Bible tells us in the previous chapter that Saul had been disobedient to God. Saul had compromised and not done what God had called him to do. And as a result of that, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God departed from Saul. And now he no longer had the Holy Spirit. He no longer had strength. He no longer had the ability to do what he had done. He thought that he was the source of his victory when in reality, God all along had been the source of his victory. So in 1 Samuel 17, Israel finds himself once again in a place of conflict. This time, it's not to the Ammonites and it's not to the Hittites. This time, it's to a group of people called the Philistines. The Philistines were a cruel people. Frankly, they hated the Jews. 
The Philistines tried to oppress and harass and antagonize the Jews for over 200 years. And the Bible says, once again in 1 Samuel 17, they came up against the Israelites to battle them. The Philistines way outnumbered the Israelites. The Philistines had all sorts of weaponry and devices to inflict all sorts of cruelty upon them. And so when the Philistines made a bargain with the Israelites, we'll fight you one soldier against another soldier. Whoever wins is going to uh, have the ownership, if you will, and whoever loses is going to serve as slaves. It seemed like a bargain to the Israelites. Oh, that sounds much better. We're outnumbered. We could never defeat this army anyway. And so, yeah, you send out a soldier, we'll send out a soldier, and life will be good. But unbeknownst to the Israelites, the Bible tells us that the Philistines sent out a champion, literally a warrior, a giant by the name of Goliath. Goliath, by our standards today, was nine foot nine inches tall. He had a coat of armor that in our terms today weighed over 125 pounds. Now, I don't care how in shape you are, how strong men you might think you are, but a 125-pound coat, come on, that's a heavy coat, right? I mean, forget a weighted blanket at night. This is a heavy armor. Not only that, he's got a helmet on his head. Literally, he's got bronze upon his, his, his legs and upon his arms. The Bible says literally just the head of his spear alone was over 15 pounds, now, I'm going to be honest, I try to exercise occasionally, but it's been a long time since I took a 15-pound weight and tried to see how far I could throw it, okay? Day, uh, Goliath was a giant of a man. To put in perspective how tall he was and how big he was, I want to give you an image of something. Did you know the tallest man that we have on record recorded in recent years uh, is a man by the name of Robert Wadlaw? That's Robert right there. Can you say hello, Robert? Oh, just making sure you're awake. Very good. He can't say hello back. But anyway, he's, he's here for us today. He was eight foot, 11 and a half inches tall. All right? The gentleman standing next to him is his father. All right? Now, if you go Google him and look him up, you'll quickly find that nearly every picture you find of Robert, he kind of has this grin on his face. Like he seems to be a friendly, nice guy, like very relatable and all these different things. His father was a, a man of normal height, if you will. I want you to picture the thing. Robert was a friendly guy. Whenever David faced Goliath, when the Israelites saw Goliath in that valley, he wasn't smiling like that. Goliath wasn't dressed like a nice gentleman who was being kind and courteous and respectful and saying hello. No, Goliath was this tall, huge mountain of a man who was bent on destroying and persecuting the people of God. So he mocks them. He taunts them. Send out a man. Oh, Israelites, you claim to serve the living God of heaven. You claim that your God is a true God. Yeah, send out a man. Is there anybody who would fight me? Is there anybody that would stand against me, the Philistine, with all the gods of the Philistines behind us, with all the mighty power of the army behind us? Is there anybody that would dare to challenge me? I'd like to see the man. That's what Goliath is saying. Well, in that context this morning, I want us to make two primary observations from the text. The first is I want you to consider the steps to victory. If you know the story of David and Goliath, you know how it ends. But I want us to take some time and focus on how we get to that victory in the end. There are some steps that David took. And I believe that if we are going to experience victory in our life, we would be wise to do the same. Four steps that we see from the life of David. And we'll see in the verse of scripture. Here's the first thing. The first thing is David recognized the truth. David recognized the truth. Please understand in this moment that when the Israelite army is gathered there at the mountain, they're on one mountain, the Philistines are on the opposite mountain, and Goliath has come down in the valley to taunt them and to mock them. And even though they're in a perspective of looking down upon the giant in the valley, the Bible says that the Israelites and King Saul, their mighty leader, were terrified. They were dismayed. The phrase literally means they were without heart. When they saw the size of the giant, they were overwhelmed. They were terrified. There was nothing within them that said, we got this. There was nothing within them that said, yes, we can move forward. There was nothing within them that said, yes, we can overcome. There was nothing within them that gave them any hope at all. They were completely without heart. But David comes on the scene. Now, David, the Bible tells us, has been taking care of his father's sheep. And on this specific day, the Bible says that Jesse looked at David and said, David, 
Basically, in my translation, I want you to get the bread and I want you to get the cheese and I want you to take them to your brothers on the front line of battle. Daddy, are you sure? Yeah, go get the grilled cheese and take it to them, son, okay? 2019 version, all right? That's what he's saying. David, I want you to take the food, go to the front line of battle. So David does as his father commands. He leaves the sheep behind for a moment. He gets the food, comes out into the front line of battle. And as he goes, Goliath comes out into the valley. And he begins to mock them. Oh, you Israelites, you who claim to serve the living true God, you who claim that, that you know the God of heaven, you Israelites, send out a man to fight me. The Bible tells us in verse 23, and David heard them. He heard what Goliath was saying. Verse 24, when all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and they were greatly afraid. The men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's coming up? Surely he's coming up to defy Israel and it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. David spoke to the men who were standing by him saying, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away, listen to this statement, the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the what? The living God. The people answered him in accord with this word saying, thus it will be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger burned against David and he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few little sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and I know the wickedness of your heart for you have come down in order to see the battle. You little selfish punk, that's what he's saying. But David said, what have I done now? Was it not just a question? And he turned away from him to another and said the same thing and the people answered the same thing as before. Please understand, the first step to victory is that we must recognize the truth. David recognized the truth. See, the people of God in this moment, the armies of God, even King Saul, thought the battle was a battle against Goliath. The, the, the people, the, the, the soldiers and, and Saul, they thought that this issue was a conflict between them and Goliath. And because they were focused on Goliath, they said, oh, this is too big. This is impossible. We could never get the victory here. But David saw and understood the truth. David didn't just see this as a physical battle against Goliath. He recognized it as a spiritual battle. He recognized that when Goliath was taunting the army of God, he wasn't just taunting the army of God, he was taunting the very God they represented. This was not an issue against the people of Israel, this was against the God of Israel. And that's why when David comes on the scene, he asks the question, who is it that's going to remove this reproach from Israel? This person that's blaspheming Israel and speaking evil against the God of Israel, who does he think he is to taunt the armies of the living God? The reason why David could recognize the truth is because he knew his God wasn't dead. His God was alive. His God was well. And so he could walk forward in faith. History records Charles Spurgeon one day was in his home and he was in a place, frankly, of great discouragement and a place of great despair. He was dealing with a hardship in his life and his wife walked into the room and as she walked into the room, she was completely clothed in black. And she began to walk around until finally she got his attention. And he said, why are, why are you clothed in all black? And she said, oh, haven't you heard? There's been a death. He said, well, honey, who has died? And she said, haven't you heard? God has died. God is dead. God is no longer alive. And of course, he began to rebuke her. How dare you say that? How dare you say that God is dead? He's alive and he's well and he's working. How dare you say? And she said, Charles, I know that God is not dead, but you need to know it as well. Quit walking and living as if he is. What she was saying was in the midst of his grieving, in the midst of his discouragement, in the midst of his despair, he was living his life as if there was no hope. That'll preach to a preacher. Preach to me. What I think God is wanting us to see in this context is that David was focused on the greatness of God. David was focused on the reality that God is alive and well. And as a result of that, he recognized the battle as being a spiritual battle. It was not an issue of Goliath versus any man. It was an issue of the God of Israel versus the false gods of the Philistines. 
Author Michael Bentley said it this way, David did not view this challenge merely as a military problem. For him, it was a spiritual conflict. He had no doubt that Israel was God's own chosen people. The army was the property of the living God. And David viewed this battle as one where the honor and the glory of the Lord overrode everything else. What happens when you know the truth? What happens when you recognize the truth and you walk forward in obedience? What happens when you walk forward in faith? Life gets so easy. No, not quite. I mean, pastor, isn't it true that when you say yes to God, like everything's supposed to be easier? Absolutely not. In fact, unfortunately, with every step of obedience that we see David taking, we begin to see an attack from the enemy. And the first in this context is an attack from Eliab, his oldest brother. The very moment you trust the promise of God and you begin to move forward in faith, I guarantee you someone will falsely accuse you and criticize you. So David begins to look at the the guys responding. He hears these insults of Goliath. He hears Goliath mocking and taunting the armies of the living God. He sees Goliath denying the very power and presence of the living God of heaven. And as he sees this, as he's mocking them, David watches as all the army, including his older brothers, flee in fear. David's a teenager. Well, what could, what could I do for God? I'm just a teenager. Don't question what you can do for God. Question what God can do through you. David's in this moment. Why are you guys running in fear? Who, who's going to remove this reproach from Israel? And the Bible tells us in that moment, he begins to ask, What's Saul going to do for the person who gets rid of this reproach? And Eliab, the self-righteous older brother. Oh, I know what you're up to, you little punk. I don't know why it's my favorite word today, right? I know what you, I know the insolence and the wickedness of your heart. You little grilled cheese boy, why don't you, what, what happened to your little sheep over in the wilderness? Why don't you go take care of them? You just came up here to see the battle. You want to be like us. He's looking at like, have you seen yourselves lately, guys? Like running in fear, a bunch of chickens? No, like, he's accusing them. Isn't it amazing we begin to step forward in faith to obey God, standing firm on the truth? The enemy always comes to accuse, to lie, to criticize. Every time, why? Because the Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He will lie to you, he will lie about you, and he will lie about others to you. That's who he is. David recognized the truth. Secondly, David remembered what God had done. I love this statement. The Bible tells us in verses 31 through 40, not only he recognized the truth in that moment, he understood the reality of the conflict, but he remembered what God had done. Notice the statement in verse 31. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, King Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one's heart fail on account of him, for your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. Saul said to David, You're not able to go against the... But David said to Saul, hold up for a moment. Your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised, unbelieving Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies once again of the living God. David said... Listen to this statement. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. And Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. But then Saul clothed David with his garments, put on a bronze helmet on his head and he clothed him with armor. David girded his sword over his armor, tried to walk for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these for I've not tested them. David took them off. He took a stick in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. He put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch, and his sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. David not only recognized the truth, David remembered what God had done. Even while Eliab is mocking him or criticizing David and falsely accusing David, Goliath is still down in the valley mocking and taunting the armies of God. And David in that moment has to kind of turn away from Eliab because he's got a giant to face. The Bible tells us that word gets to Saul. Hey, Saul, there's a man amongst the Israelites who is ready to fight. There's a man amongst the Israelites who's ready to go to battle. He's willing to stand against Goliath. Now, I imagine in that moment, Saul was excited. Oh, thank God, finally. 
Somebody's gonna stand against the giant. Someone's willing to go forward in battle. Tell me who it is. Oh, King Saul, it's David. David. <laughs> I'm sure Saul in that moment was like, David? The shepherd boy from Bethlehem? The boy that keeps bringing grilled cheese to his brothers? D D David, the one who plays the harp when I'm in a really bad mood? Like, David? That's right, David. David shows up on the scene. Hi, King Saul, I'm ready to go. King Saul looks. Notice what he says. He says, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth while he's been a warrior from his youth. You can't do this. David, it's impossible. There is no way you can get the victory. You are just a teenager, and Goliath has been a skilled, mighty warrior since he was a teenager. He is going to eat you for lunch, David. But David says something. No, actually, King Saul, let me tell you what God's been doing in my life. I know you don't know about this, and I know I hadn't made any papers, and I know I hadn't been on the front line of any battle, but I want you to know something. When I was taking care of my daddy's sheep back in Bethlehem, there was a day where a lion came, and he, and he got a hold of one of our lambs, and, and King Saul, I want you to know, God was with me, and he allowed me to be powerful and strong in that moment, and I went to that lion, I grabbed him by the beard and wrestled him and killed him with my own hands. That's crazy. And that's not all, King Saul. There was another day when a bear came and a bear came and did the same and God was with me and God strengthened me. I know it wasn't about me. It wasn't about my little shepherd staff. No, God gave me the victory. And if God was with me then, he's gonna be with me today. There are some of us in our life, listen, we are so called up and all the distractions and all the busyness and all the pursuits, trying to climb the corporate ladder, trying to make more money, trying to do this, trying to do that, that we are so busy, we've lost sight of all the things God's been doing in our life. One of the reasons that we're to be still and know that he is God is yes, to know God's leading in the moment, is to know his presence in the moment, but it's also to remember what God has been doing. In our life, we get so busy and so caught up that we tend to lose sight of all the many ways God's demonstrated his grace and his faithfulness and his mercies and his powers and his blessings in our life. But please understand, he's done all these things for a purpose and a reason to bring him glory, but also to prepare us for the further things that he has for us. Can I say to you this morning as we sit there leading worship, Pastor Scott's leading us in worship and we're singing my redeemer, my healer, my savior, my king. Can I just be honest with you when I tell you I can't sing that phrase without a sense of brokenness and I can't sing that phrase without tears because the fact of the matter is in my life, when I was a child, I should have died. It should have been over. There was no hope, but God reached down and healed me. I, I, I don't say that for my, I, I was just a baby. I had nothing I could offer to that, but God healed me. And when I look back over my life, I began to realize God was with me in that moment to protect me. God called me to himself to salvation in that moment. God protected me from all sorts of challenges and struggles and temptations and pains and hardships and all, all kinds of abuse. God protected me from so many things. And then God called me to his ministry. And when I look back over my life, I can see God was working and moving. That's not unique to me. God's been working and he's been moving in your life to prepare you and to reveal things to you and to show you. But it's not just so that you can sit back and say, wow, look at what I've done. No, it's for us to realize God has a plan and a purpose moving forward in our life. David's in that moment where he understood the faithfulness of God in the past was to reveal to him the purpose of God for the present. But then of course, Saul brings another attack, doesn't he? All right, David. You can go fight him. May the Lord be with you. You're gonna need it. Oh, but by the way, he brings the attack of insufficiency. This is really an attack against God. David, I know God's been with you in the past. I hope God's with you in the present. But God's not enough. Saul didn't say it, but he said it with his actions. I'm thankful for your faith, David, but God's not enough. Here's what you need. You need armor. You need the weapons of man. You need the skill of man. So here's what I'm gonna do, David. He takes off his armor. He takes off his helmet. He puts it upon David. Saul was tall. David was a teenager. Puts it on David. He gives him a sword. In fact, the Bible describes here in this account that if he gives him the sword, David literally can't even hardly walk because of this thing, okay? He's dragging this thing around. 
Please understand in this moment, it seems innocent, but within this subtle act was a temptation to depend upon something else rather than God. Richard Phillips summarizes it this way. He says, we should probably consider the offer of Saul's armor as one of the greatest trials of David's faith. The sight of Goliath did not daunt the young hero. He knew how God would handle a blaspheming Philistine, just like a bear or a lion seeking after God's sheep. But by far the most subtle temptation was the offer to step into the shoes. That is the armor of the disgraced king. David's faith knew how to say yes to a daunting challenge, but it was equally important that his faith knew how to say no to worldly compromise and unbelieving help. Here's David. What's he having to learn to do? Well, he's recognized the truth, and now he's learning even further to keep trusting the Lord. The third thing I want you to see is this in these steps of victory is we must learn to rely on the Lord. David learned to rely on the Lord. First Samuel chapter 17, look with me in verses 41 through 47. Listen to what the Bible says as it unpacks for us the scene. It says, the Philistine came on. The Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. He's speaking down to him, mocking him, for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I'm gonna give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day, the Lord will deliver you up into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky, the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a singular one true God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Please picture the moment. This climactic moment is unfolding. David gives the armor back to Saul. He goes over to the brook. He grabs five smooth stones. He puts them in a shepherd's bag and he begins to go down towards the valley. By now, Goliath gets the word. Hey, Israel's got a challenger. There's a man who's ready to fight you. Goliath starts walking down the mountain and as he begins to walk down the mountain, he sees shepherd boy David hanging out in the valley. And I'm sure in that moment, he laughed to himself. He thought it was hilarious. What? You brought me a little ruddy shepherd boy of a handsome appearance. Who is this pretty boy that's come to fight me? That's what Goliath is saying. I can tell by the hair gel in his hair, you know, like bring me a real man to fight after all. He looks down at David, David sitting there with a shepherd's staff. And so much did Goliath think this was a joke that he literally asked, what do you think I am, a dog? You bring your little shepherd's staff out here to play fetch with me? Oh, little shepherd boy, he's mocking him. He's real, you have no chance of defeating me. This is ridiculous. What kind of sick joke is this? That's what Goliath is doing. He's taunting David. Please understand, when he began to approach David, full armor, all that big armor across his shoulders and his chest, across his legs and his arms, the, 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 the weight of that helmet, the giant spear, as he began to approach, he literally said, I'm gonna destroy you, David. David cried out, no, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. This day the Lord will do this so that all the world may know that there is only one true and living God. He's the God of Israel. He is Jehovah. The Bible tells us that Goliath cursed David by his gods, which literally the idea here is, is Goliath is saying, no, 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 no. All the gods of the Philistines, oh, all, of the, all these false gods, they are far more powerful than your one singular God. Look at how powerful we are. Look how powerful our gods have made us. We will destroy you. We will judge you. We will condemn you. And we will let it be known throughout all the land that the gods of the Philistines, we are the ones who have all power and all authority. David in this moment knew this was not a battle between him and Goliath. This is a battle between the false gods of the Philistines, the ideologies of the world, and the truth of the living God 
of heaven. The contest was between the false gods of the Philistines and the living God of Israel. And so in that moment, David looks and he says, you come to me with a spear and a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. But he doesn't just say the Lord. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Now we don't use that title a lot today. When we talk to God as Father, we rarely call out to him as the Lord of hosts, but the word Lord means ruler, and the word host is referring literally to the angelic hosts of heaven. This title is used 260 times in the Old Testament, and every time it's used, what, what is being said is this. What David is saying is, is this. He is saying, listen, the true living God of heaven has all power, and he has all authority, literally all the power of heaven, all the majesty of heaven, all the wonder of heaven, all the, uh, the beings of heaven, all of them are within his power, within his control, within his reign. And you might come to me with this big army, and the battle might seem severe, and you might seem enormous compared to me, and you might have all your false gods, but the one true living God of heaven has all power and has all authority and I stand before you in his name and because I stand in his name, I know that the victory is secure. Listen, I believe wholeheartedly this morning what, what David was reminding Goliath is what we need to be reminded of in our own lives today. When the enemy comes and attacks us and lies to us and accuses us, when the enemy comes and hinders us and brings all sorts of barriers and boundaries in our life that hinder us from moving forward, when the enemy comes and tempts us, oh, given to this, it's not that big of a deal. When the enemy comes against us, we need to be reminded that our source and our strength, it ain't in our ability, it ain't in our knowledge, it ain't in our skills, it's in the power of the living Lord of hosts. He has all power and he has all authority and therefore we should live in that. David is relying completely on the Lord, trusting that God will give him the victory. What is that called? It's called faith. Hebrews 11, verse one. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Fourth thing, fourth step, and I gotta move on quickly, is this. The Bible tells us in verse 48, a simple statement. It happened when the Philistine rose, gives us here the picture. Here's the Philistine, fully armed, fully prepared, he rose and he came and drew near to meet David. Goliath, all of his weaponry, all of his armor, and he's literally at the line of conflict. He's ready for a face-to-face, weapon-to-weapon battle with David. And frankly, David doesn't stand a chance. <laughs> he doesn't. It's almost, honestly, if you take God out of this equation, it's so ridiculous, so ridiculous. But notice what David does. David's acting in faith. David is focused on the greatness of God, not on the size of the giant. David is focused on the power and the sufficiency of God, not on the size of the Philistine army. David is focused on the truth of who God is not on fate's, uh, fate, uh, 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 false faith in all these false gods. He's completely focused on God. And as a result of that, notice what happens in verse 48. Goliath is there. He's ready to battle. David said, let me take a rain check. No. David crawled to the battle line. No. David slowly went in hesitation. No. What does it say verse 48? I love this. And David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. Now that might sound simple and that might sound subtle. There are certain things I might run to. I might run to a good deal at a local store on Black Friday, okay? I, I might run as fast as I can to get a good seat at the football game. I'm not running as fast as I can to a battle, I'm not running as fast as I can to face a giant, to face some moment of opposition. I'm not running at a place that literally defies all logic. But here's what's happening. In this moment, David has such faith in God, such focus on God. It doesn't matter the size of the giant. It doesn't matter the size of the army. It doesn't matter the hardship that he's going through. It doesn't matter the struggle that's there. It doesn't matter the marriage situation that seems impossible in your life because he's focused on God. He's running headfirst into the battle. 
He's not weary. He's not losing heart. He's not second guess. He's running with all the gusto that he can have. Why? Because his faith and his trust is completely in God. What happens when you recognize the truth? What happens in a moment when you begin to respond in faith? You run forward in faith. You're trusting God. What happens in that moment? The Bible tells us what happened in verse 49 and 50. It took 48 verses in the chapter to get to this moment. It took 40 days for the Israelite army to get to this moment. But in one verse, in one moment, in about three sentences, the Bible tells us the summary. What a dramatic moment to end in such a quick way. Verse 49. David put his hand to his bag He took from it a stone and slung it, and he struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. I remind you that Goliath was wearing a helmet. It does not matter when God is on your side. Verse 50, thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But Notice the next statement. But there was no sword in David's hand. Final thing I want you to see is the source of the victory. The source of the victory. Do do we even begin to understand the astronomical impossibility of a young teenage boy, a sling and a smooth stone being whirled and slung And with pinpoint precision and accuracy, that rock hitting the giant exactly where it needed to hit him to make him fall. Humanly impossible. But with God, all things are possible. David understood in this moment that the source of his victory was not in his amazing skill. God had been with him in the past, no doubt about it, but this wasn't about his amazing skill. This wasn't about his vast experience Incredible knowledge, such an great soldier to win this victory. No, it had nothing to do with that. It had everything to do with God, his power, and his presence. So when he wins the victory, the Bible points out the simple fact. There was no sword in David's hand. Why is that important? It's important because it confirms where the victory came from. Listen to the verses prior one more time. In verses 46 and 47. When David stood before that giant that day, he announced loud and clear for Goliath, for the Philistine army, for all the entire Israelite army behind him that had been cowering away in fear. Listen to what he said. He said, the Lord will deliver you this day so that all the earth may know that there is one God in Israel. And that all this assembly here today may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear. For the battle is whose? It's the Lord's. That's right. David knew the key to victory in that moment was simply surrendering to God and trusting him, believing that God would give the victory. David had a responsibility in it. He had a part to play. But ultimately, the key to his victory was who he placed his faith in. Warren Wiersbe says it this way, and I love the way he summarizes it. When we walk by sight, we calculate everything from the human perspective, and this always leads to discouragement. But when we walk by faith, God comes into the equation, and that changes the results. You know, the truth of the matter is, people quote David and Goliath every time they see a sports event taking place where there's an underdog facing a mighty opponent. You might hear it when you're talking about elections in the coming years or coming seasons. But the simple fact of the matter is, here's the honest truth. Believe it or not, the story of David and Goliath really is not about David and Goliath. It's about the greatness and the power of God. That's what it's about. You know, if this story was really about David, we would be looking today and saying, you know what? We should put all of our hope in David. Oh, God, would you send us David again that David could 
rescue us, that David could forgive us of our sins? Would you send us, David, to conquer the giants in our life? But here's the reality. While David's example might challenge us and inspire us, David didn't always live by faith. He didn't even always do right. In fact, by the time you get to 2 Samuel, about midway through the book, we realize that David was just as human as we are. He messed up. He fell short. David was not the source of his own victory. David was victorious in this moment and in other moments when he put his trust in God. Today, I challenge you. The fact of the matter is, God has sent a Savior. He has sent one to rescue us. He has sent one to overcome our enemy, Satan. He has sent one to allow us to be victorious, to empower us to be victorious over sin. He has sent one to make a way that we could be forgiven and saved. He has sent one to conquer death, hell, and sin itself. And that conqueror is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus alone. This morning, I don't know where you are. Maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. You've never had victory over sin in your life. I'm here today to tell you, you can have victory over sin by putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting him to save you. You may be here today and you may be a Christian and have been for a long time, but if you're honest about it, you're going through some challenges right now. You're struggling. You feel defeated and discouraged. And God is wanting to remind you the same focus that brought you to a place of salvation by putting your faith in Jesus is the same focus that's needed today as you put your hope in Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. He is the source of our victory. And so I ask you today, I plead with you today, will you trust in him for victory in your life? Let's bow our heads together. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the reminder that you are good and that you're faithful. God, I thank you for the many ways in my life that you continue to show me that you are greater than the challenges, the struggles. You are greater than the pain. You're greater than, any, you're greater than anything. Lord, there are some here today that are struggling in sin and they need to be set free. And God, they've struggled with it for so long that they wonder, can there be victory? God, I pray today that you would affirm in their heart and life that yes, there is victory and yes, you can set them free and yes, you can forgive them and rescue them today. Father, as they believe in Jesus, I pray that you would affirm that in their hearts today. And Father, there are some here today who are believers, we're walking with Jesus, loving Jesus and yet still struggling, still struggling. Our enemy, the devil, is prowling like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour and as a result, there are many who are struggling today who need your hope and your help. And so God, I pray today that they would look to you. God, it's not that we're ignoring the enemy. It's not that we're ignoring the battle. It's not that we're ignoring the valley that we're facing. But instead, we're putting our focus on you and your greatness and your glory. Have your way, we pray right now in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.